The Sydney Opera House acknowledges the Gadigal people, traditional custodians of Chubagale, the land on which the Opera House stands. We honour the long Gadigal history of gathering and storytelling and acknowledge the strength and resilience of First Nations people and communities past and present. My name is Jazz Money. Welcome to Ideas at the House, a podcast featuring talks and ideas from the Sydney Opera House. This is the first episode of a five-part season which showcases recent events from the house, including talks from New York-based cook and author Alison Roman, AI expert Toby Walsh and evolutionary biologist Rob Brooks, along with our 50th birthday debate, The Opera House Would Not Be Built Today. Later in the season, we'll also be hearing new work from four emerging writers commissioned as part of our collaboration with Western Sydney literacy movement Sweatshop. In this episode, we kick off with a special event which took place recently as part of our 50th birthday festival. The Sydney Opera House is known for being an iconic building that inspires imagination and sparks conversation. But would we actually be so bold to bring to life such a building today? Such a question has sparked much debate. One that you're about to hear. The proposition, there's no way Sydney would build the Opera House today. Arguing for is Osman Faruqi, Rebecca Huntley and Benjamin Law. Battling against is Wendy Harmer, Helen Pitt and Yumi Steins. With loose Oxford debate rules, our debaters had to keep in mind that the 70s were a different time. Would we take the risk to greenlight such a design and engineering challenge today? Would our contemporary political and economic imagination ever conceive of a project with this kind of creative ambition? This fun, old-school debate is a chance to reflect and consider the kind of impact a building can have. Let's jump into the debate now, hosted by Julia Zamiro and recorded in the Playhouse in October 2023. Hello! Yeah! talk. Tusen tak, tusen tak, a thousand thanks, a thousand thanks. Go often, Minavena. Good evening, my friends. Ja, Heather Julia, my name is Julia. Ja, Taylor Engusk, or Fransk, or Litlitdansk. I speak English and French and a little, little, little bit of Danish because we are here in a Danish-designed, Australian-built, amazing building. Happy birthday, 50th birthday to the Opera House! I know! Tusen tak, a thousand thanks. It's never too late to learn a language. 50 years ago, on the 20th of October, 1973, the Sydney Opera House was officially opened by the Queen Elizabeth II, and she really put her back into it because the doors were quite heavy. It was an extraordinary year. Hit songs on the radio found Helen Reddy telling us to be strong and invincible. Michael Jackson sang a love song to a rat. Then the two of us need look no more. Carly Simon sang about vanity and everyone was tying a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. Gough Whitlam was Prime Minister. You know you love it. The right to vote was lowered to 18. Yes! You know you love it. And this improbable, 
glorious building we find ourselves in was declared open for everyone to enjoy. The finest in opera, classical music, contemporary music, theatre sports, drama, cabaret, magic, dance, even, even the ARIA Awards. They did them on the steps outside. Do you remember that? What a disaster that was. They should never have done that. Whenever they do stuff on the steps, it's always like management's double booked the joint. It's like they've gone, oh, fuck, that's all right. Oh, well, put them on the stairs. Anyway, awful. And yes, debates and talks often happen here in the wonderful Opera House. It's not an exaggeration to say that this icon of daring modernism launched Sydney and Australia into a new era with a bolder sense of herself as a place of creativity and imaginative thinking. It showed ourselves and the world the impact of a building and what it could be to the people and the place. And it became a symbolic marker for all Australians and a standard to meet. But would such a building be built today? And should it take 14 years? I mean, that's as long as that light rail took to get to Randwick and Coogee, so. <laughs> The CEO of Sydney Opera House, Louise Heron, asked this very question in an op-ed in the Sydney Morning Herald. Do we any longer have what it takes? The imagination, the creativity, the sheer boldness to build an institution of this kind. Well, the 70s and the decades preceding it were a different time, that's for sure. Would we take that risk? Would we greenlight such a project that set ourselves for such a challenge? Would our contemporary political imagination never conceive of a project with this kind of creative ambition and requiring this kind of largesse. Again, the light rail as an example really does spring to mind. <laughs> well, we wanted to find out. We wanted to take the temperature, as it were, of a panel of journalists, commentators and performers, and you too, the audience, who likely knows far more and far better. We are going to tackle these very questions tonight in the form of a debate. The proposition is, there is no way Sydney would build the Opera House today. The rules are here, you ask. Tuss and tuck, a thousand thanks. We promised, we promised, Oxford Union debate rules would loosely apply, only to discover that nearly everyone is loose with these uh, rules. There are about as many versions uh, of these rules as there are concrete stairs in this building. So, some of the rules are a bit unwieldy in our circumstances. When it comes to voting for a winner, usually in Oxford rules, uh, they, they require those in attendance to go through two different doors, one indicating pro, one indicating con. We can't do that. Occupational health and safety, forget it. So, we are going to choose our winners tonight by rowdy applause. So, let me hear your rowdy applause. Wow. You clearly haven't been out much. Jeez. You're right for it. Also, let's learn a little bit of Danish and a bit of swearing. Um, we're all big fans of The Killing, obviously, and Borgen and all those wonderful shows. Um, if we should need it, and I'll call out for it during the night if we do, but a bit of swearing. They love swearing. For example, for Satan, man. One, two, three. A bit more. For Satan, man. Very good. That might come out. It literally is for Satan, man. It's a nice way of swearing. So many experts in the audience tonight, obviously, uh, as debaters, I can hear it. Um, like all debates, of course, we have a pro and a con side. But you will notice, 
that the proposition tonight is in the negative. I think they might have changed that if they'd known, but they printed everything so they couldn't. <laughs> so the premise is there's no way Sydney would build the Opera House today. So we're all going to sit in some kind of, you know, cognitive dissonance tonight. Those arguing on the pro side are arguing the negative, and there's no way we would build it again. Think of them as the cynics. And those on the con side are actually arguing a positive, optimistic side. Think of them as the optimists. Confused? Good. <laughs> It's good to keep you on your toes. We will begin with a debater from the pro side and then the con and alternate back and forth. And when everyone has had their say, we will hear from you and uh, your applause for the winners. And now, I ask you to welcome the teams. For the pro side, the cynics, please welcome to the stage Rebecca Huntley, Osman Faruqi and Benjamin Law. Side, our sunny, sunny optimists. Please welcome to the stage Helen Pitt, Yumi Steins, and Wendy Harmer. Now, when each of you come up to this po uh, podium to speak, you will have seven minutes ish in total. When there is one minute to go ish, I will ring a tiny bell, or as the Danes would say, ring my clocken. It's basically like English, everyone. <laughs> All right. One, two, three. For Satan, man. For Satan, man. Ah, a bit of swearing just to kick us off. I like it. Well done. All right. Are we ready, everyone? Are we nervous? Are we excited? Here we go. Our first speaker this evening is on the pro side, the beautiful Rebecca Huntley. First, here she comes. Arguing for our negative proposition is... Oh, for the negative or the... You're the pro or the negative? I can't I'm remember. A, I'm a pro. You're, you're a negative, that's right. <laughs> that's for sure. And I'm almost always negative. Just keep going. I love that about <laughs> you. Uh, Rebecca Huntley, of course, is one of Australia's foremost researchers on social trends. Rebecca is Director of Research at the Agency 89 Degrees East and the author of How to Talk About Climate Change in a Way That Makes a Difference and Doesn't Shit People, I should imagine, <laughs> is the little bit in there. I love that's, that book. Yeah. It's so that good. That was the original title, it was but it we didn't great. go with it. Please make a very welcome Dr. Rebecca Huntley. She's a doctor. She's a doctor. Good evening, people of Sydney. I am the first speaker, so I don't need to engage in any rebuttal of the naively optimistic and Pollyanna-ish arguments of the team for the negative. I don't even have to pretend for the sake of this debate that I agree with the statement. I absolutely agree with it. I know from the depths of my soul, from the bottom of my heart, from the lining of my uterus, at the cellular level of whatever bodily organ you care to name, that the Opera House would not be built today. And that is because anyone with the power and money to build a structure on Bennelong Point that would serve as a kind of temple dedicated to the arts, governments, corporations, philanthropists, before they even started to write the brief, before they even started to draw up a list of architects to design the thing, they would insist, without question, on conducting focus groups. <laughs> I say that as a big fan of focus groups. I've earned my living conducting them for about 20 years. And this is how a focus group on whether we should build the Sydney Opera House would undoubtedly go. It would be on Zoom on a weekday evening 
eight people. Each paid about $120 for their valuable field pinions. There would be three guys called Dave. They would have very bad ideas, but they would believe in them very strongly. There would be a 30-year-old woman, probably a single mother with a couple of kids, deftly doing her weekly online shopping while pretending to listen stroke care about what I was saying. And then there would be Bruce. There's always a Bruce in every focus group. And he would try and dominate the conversation. He would be what? He would be over 65. He would be too stupid to know he was stupid. <laughs> he would love to say at regular intervals that I do my own research. <clears throat> There'd be a couple of 20-somethings visibly eye-rolling at the rest of the people in the group, whispering OK Boomer and Good Point Karen <laughs> under their breath and bitching about it on TikTok during the group. And then there would be Cheryl. She'd be in her early 70s, so she wouldn't be able to work out how to turn the camera on until halfway through the group. And then she'd work it out, and her top would have slid down and exposed her left nipple. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, that's, that's my sister you're talking <laughs> These are all real stories from focus groups, by the way. And these are the people who would decide the fate of the Sydney Opera House. This is the main reason why this building would not be built today, but there is another reason. And because we're so used to the Sydney Opera House, because we love it so much, because we call it the Sydney Opera House, we forget that the Sydney Opera House is very un-Sydney. The most important thing in this town is property, is space. The Sydney Opera House is a giant waste of space. <laughs> Who cares about design or acoustics? You could fit a thousand Meriton apartments in the concert <laughs> hall alone. 47 artisanal gin distilleries. 71 off-the-leash dog parks with cafes serving puppuccinos and barcucherie boards. Google it, it's a thing. I look up when I go to the opera house at the innards and what I see is a hundred wet dreams of Justin Hemmies. <laughs> I want you to think about, so think about the seats that you're in right now, right? You just, the focus groups would never let you get away with these seats, right? So this is the thing I know. Sydney siders, they talk about being sophisticated, but the reality is, is you have to pry the Netflix and the Uber Eats out of their hand and shove them out of... Except for you, I don't know what you're doing here. And some of you people paid money to listen to us. It's extraordinary. The reality is, is normal people, if they actually leave their house, they don't go to the ballet, they go to the movies, right? You go to the movies today and you can fit a preschooler between you and the... and like top to toe to you and the seat in front of you, right? When you go to the movies, the seats recline. There are places to put your drinks and your food. People bring you drinks and food, right? If the focus groups had anything to do with it, those seats would vibrate and an underpaid nail technician would emerge from the floor <laughs> and pumice your heels while you watch Fast and the Furious 27 wheelchair drift. <laughs> that is what you would get. But in the concert hall, there's less than a centimetre between your nose and the asshole of the guy that is trying to get to the middle seats and no focus group would endorse that. So this is the thing. The Opera House would not be built today. I'm utterly convinced that it wouldn't. But this is the thing. Human beings don't always know what's good for them. 
we can be presented with something wonderful that we don't want and actually will realise we can't live without it. And some of the best Australian inventions are things we never knew we needed until we had them. The Tim Tam, the Bunning sausage, Vegemite. Trying to think of non-food-related issues can't. Um, anyway, I believe the Opera House will stand the test of time, but I know that it would never stand the test of focus groups. Thank you. Oh, I mean... Oh! With a full one minute and 20 left to go. I mean, it's very impressive, very impressive. That was quite good. I quite enjoyed that. It was nice. That was good. The lining of her uterus. How marvellous. So good to mention that. And now our first debater on the negative side, arguing, uh, I mean, in a very positively that we do have what it takes, is Helen Pitt. Now, she is a senior writer for the Sydney Morning Herald who also happens to be the author of the Walkley Award-winning book, wait for it, The House, the extraordinary story of the Sydney Opera House and the people who built it. Unreal. Please make her very welcome. <laughs> So that the Opera House would not be built today? Even this question is framed in a negative way, much the same way as when it was built and it was known as the Uproar House. They said it couldn't be built then, it shouldn't be built, it was a white elephant, a waste of money. From the start, Nobel Prize winning author Patrick White said, miserable little aldermanish devils will, will stop it. Even the king of architecture, Frank Lloyd Wright, said this circuit, circus tent is not architecture, but they were wrong, as our opposition is wrong, because we optimists say, yes, we can. Let me hear you say it. Yes, we can. When I wrote my book about the house, which is available in the gift shop, by the way, and in all good stores, I learnt how much people love this place, but I also learnt that it was a premier that put it here. Sydney siders who remember this city before the Opera House know the name Jorn Utzon and the great gift he gave our city. Today it's known as the Bilbao effect, when powerful architecture transforms a sleepy backwater into a business metropolis. Like Frank Gehry's Guggenheimen, Utzon's Opera House did just that, but he didn't do it alone. He had help from 10,000 people from 90, 90 different countries who said, Indeed. And they built this crowd-funded culture centre dreamt up by a European, completed by Australians like architect Peter Hall and many post-war migrants. Together they created a new vision of multicultural Australia and what it could accomplish. But like all great buildings, it required a political backer and that came in the form of New South Wales Premier Joe Carl. Now, he was a Redfern-born railway worker who'd never seen an opera in his life. He had some, sometimes played the pianola in his Marrickville home, but he had, was more at home at the races and, and at Randwick and Rose Hill. Yet he knew our city needed this. He said, yes, we can. So let me take you to a Saturday night in the Sydney Town Hall in June 1957, where the fate of the Sydney Opera House was decided not by politicians, but ordinary people like you here and me. Earlier that year, Finnish-American architect Eero Saarinen, one of the judges in the international design competition, had reached into the pile of rejects and declared with a flourish, gentlemen, here is your opera house. 
Now, in it, he recognised a building the same as the one he was building, the TWA terminal at the JFK airport. Google it if you don't know it. And he went on to convince his judges in six days. Now, I can stand here for six days in my John Coburn Curtain of the Moon Sun to try and convince you if you need that. But what did he say to the judges? Yes, we can. His conviction and his belief in the idea is what got it over the line. Now, the moment the winner was announced, the pictures were published on the front page of the papers and the criticism was instant. It was played out as these things always are in Sydney, as the toffs versus the turf goers. Opponents called it Joe's Folly or the Taj Kahal because it was going to take as long and cost as much. Now, Carl knew he was going to have an uphill battle convincing his fellow MPs in his caucus to approve it because they were split. So he promised it would be paid for with state lotteries, like the Harbour Bridge and all our hospitals at that time. There's the funding problem solved, guys. We could do it again. We could just say, yes, we can. It was going to be the stroke of genius here that Carl got it over the line though, because he took the idea to the ALP state conference. That was party members, union reps, not just politicians. So on that night in the, in the town hall in June 1957, opposition was strong. There were the blokey backrooms of the ALP state conference. Some delegates were spoiling for a fight. But before the vote, Carl reminded them, if we're not prepared to take a bit of a risk, we are not worth our salt. The member for Leichhardt, Mr Thompson, said opera houses were only for hoity-toity people. It would be only something for people with minks and diamonds and not what ordinary people want. But an ordinary woman, a Maltese immigrant called Miss Napper of the clothing trades union shot back, what's wrong with wanting something beautiful? Are we going to bring up our children in an atmosphere of rock and roll or better things, she said. It would be like saying today, do you want your kids just to be exposed to TikTok, Twitter or Tinder or do you want them to see Shakespeare? watch Aida or hear Beethoven. So in a passionate speech, she told everyone that the small island of Malta where her parents lived had been home to the world's third biggest opera house. Great buildings make great cities. The town hall erupted in applause. The ALP Women's Committee seconded the motion that the opera house be built. We got our nuns in a scrum, thanks to women who stood up to the bully boys and said, yes, yes we can. Just like Opera House CEO Louise Heron when she stood up to Alan Jones and the other political bullies when Racing New South Wales tried to illuminate the Everest, the sales with the Everett horse race. Yes, we can and we should listen to women. The final triumph for Carl though was that he enshrined the building with an Act of Parliament, the Sydney Opera House Act. It had never been done before, which meant that no matter who won elections in the future, his Opera House baby was, be, was going to be built a genius. Building started three weeks before the 1959 state election and he won in a landslide. He said, yes, we can build this building. It was the political will of Joe Carl, the conviction of Ero Saarinen and the courage of Miss N. Napa that said, we can get this building built. Are you saying we don't have political will, conviction and courage anymore? I say, yes, we do and yes, we can. And if you want to elect me for Premier, I'll make sure... <laughs> Put it there. As the Queen said, all great buildings come with a load of controversy. Look at the pyramids, she said when she opened this building. But there they stand 4,000 years later, as the Opera House most likely will too. 
Subsequent generations of Australians since 1973 deserve their own building to represent their own identity and, and celebrate their own era, to say, yes, we can do this. Yes, we can make Australia a great place. There's no reason why. They teach how to build the Opera House in New South Wales in Sydney University architecture courses now. So let's get going. An international design competition funded by lotteries enshrined in legislation. What I ask of you tonight is to believe you can change the nation again like we did on this very spot. Hitch your wagon to something bigger than yourself. Yes, we did, and yes, we can do it again. Vote yes tonight. It will be good practice for Saturday. Yes! Get that, lovely work. Now, Helen, I believe you and I have something in common. Yes. We, we've both been up this we opera have. house, haven't we? Oh, my we've God. We've gone right up the guts of it. <laughs> Amazing experience for me, not so great for you. No, so why did you go up to the top side? I went up to write a story on the tile testing to see how they keep the tiles clean. You know, there are nearly a million Swedish tiles Swedish, up there. Yeah. And we wanted to do the, to see up close how they, how they cleaned them, how they did the testing to see if there were any cracks. And there was a lot of bird poo up there, actually, interestingly and there was a lot of moss and lichen growing, but they keep it going because it's part of the World Heritage listed building. Hmm. I went up there as a representative of the Crown Prince couple of Denmark, <laughs> our Mary and her husband Frederick. Uh, well, they were here for a huge <laughs> cultural event. People are laughing like it's not true, but it is. Um, and this wonderful opera house at another birthday they had, I can't remember which one, uh, they were here presenting their Crown Prince couple awards <laughs> Basically, a bank gave them a lot of money as a present for their wedding because they didn't know what else to get them. You know, a voucher from Sports Girl didn't seem appropriate. <laughs> anyway, um, and uh, I was delighted to be part of that and host that event uh, until they said to me, we'd like to kick off the night with you and the other host on top of the sail, waving at a helicopter saying, hello and welcome in Danish and English. What a hideous experience. I will <laughs> never do it again. I had to go up there three times just to test that I wasn't going to vomit when I got over the other side. The lovely man, Dean, who's trained to take you up there afterwards, said to me, wow, you've done it three times, you'll be ready for the bridge climb. I grabbed him by the shirt and said, have you not been listening to me for the last three weeks? I'm never doing this again. Anyway, the Opera House. Um, our next speaker, uh, our next debater, I should say, is cultural editor for the Sydney Morning Herald. So he should know a thing or two about the Sydney Opera House and our cultural, with a capital C, imagination. Osman Faruqi will be arguing for the affirmative side, or as we like to call them, the cynics. Please make him welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Helen really played you guys like a fiddle. A bit of call and response. You guys are trained seals. Come on. <laughs> I actually had left space in my notes for something to rebut, but all my wonderful colleague did was flog her book, so I don't have, I don't have anything else to say. Um, folks, let me tell you a story. It's a story about a vital infrastructure project, a visionary infrastructure project that solved a problem that was plaguing this city and it forever changed the way that we all live here. This key public project sought to bridge a gaping chasm in our city a chasm that ran like a scar throughout Sydney. It sought to bring Sydney-siders together much quicker 
and much more easily than they otherwise were able to do. It was going to be expensive, it was going to be difficult, and yeah, lives were going to be put at risk. But it needed to be done. And thankfully, we had a state government that was willing to say no to the naysayers, roll up their sleeves and get to work. And boy, aren't we glad that they did. The resulting engineering marvel has become synonymous with this town. It's helped make Sydney a truly global city, the one that it is today. Because, folks, without the Albert Tibby Cotter Bridge, how, how else would the fine citizens of this city cross the, chasm, cross the chasm that is Anzac Parade? How else would we get from Moore Park West to the SCG and the Sydney Football Stadium? I offer this example, not just to trick you all, but um, I offer this example as a perfect encapsulation of the only kind of infrastructure project that this state builds in the modern contemporary age. A $40 million concrete pavement to nowhere that takes longer to cross than Wagner's ring cycle. Those on that side want us to believe seriously that in 2023, the state would look at prime harbour front foreshore real estate and say, you know what we should do? Let's get a Danish bloke to build a house of opera on it. <laughs> it's actually kind of insane they got away with it back when they did 50 years ago. I guess back then we had real social movements and we cared about public infrastructure. We had an influential social elite with progressive values who cared about investment in the arts, not just in their property portfolios. My friends, that's really all this city is about now. It's about luxury property. We make TV shows about it. We make celebrities out of real estate agents. Can you believe that? <laughs> We've turned our entire economy into a pyramid scheme based on never-ending property speculation. And that's what would happen on prime land like this right now. It would be turned into luxury housing for the 1%, and none of you can deny that. The other chance, it could have been a casino. You know, that's the other possible option when it comes to <laughs> what we do with public land. You could imagine that, a great big casino to rival the few others that we already have, the Star in Piedmont, <laughs> Packers, Barangaroo, maybe this one could be owned by Lachlan Murdoch as well. That's all Sydney builds. No longer beautiful, elegant houses of opera, casinos, apartments, and of course, white elephant infrastructure projects. Let's look at what Sydney builds today, in addition to the wonderful Tupicota Bridge. Um, it's a joke, that bridge, seriously. Um, a tunnel to Western Sydney that costs $21 billion. Adjusted for inflation, that's the value of 21 Sydney opera houses. That's not enough. How about the tunnel to the northern beaches, to northern Sydney, the equivalent of three Sydney opera houses? or the metro that's just going to run over and replace existing rail lines, another 25 Sydney opera houses. Or, as I've mentioned before, crown at Barangaroo, the price of one Sydney opera house. That's what this city loves to build, and that's exactly what they will build on this land if they were doing so today. It would probably be maybe an entrance for a second harbour crossing, if not Sydney's third Lachlan Murdoch-owned casino. <laughs> In fact, the powers that be love gambling so much, they actually succeeded in turning the Sydney Opera House into the world's biggest billboard for horse racing. So you're telling me that if they couldn't project the horse racing onto the Opera House of that spare land, they just turn it into a race course. That's what modern Sydney is all about. Absurdly expensive infrastructure, transport, projects, casinos and horse racing. It's not what any of us really want to accept, but it is true. And for those of you thinking, oh, but Oz, but the state government does build new arts projects. What about the powerhouse? What about the powerhouse? 
We all know. We all know the only reason that was marked for development was so the state government could get its hands on prime land in Ultimo and flog it off to developers, further proving my point. In fact, despite years of back and forth, the only substantive thing that has happened as part of the house rebuild is the demolition of the Willow Grove Cultural Centre. So even a modern attempt to build a new arts precinct leads to the demolition and abolishment of one of the ones that we have. As for the art gallery of New South Wales and New Sydney modern wing, the less we say about that Westfield lookalike, the better. Well, I mean, come on, that deserves a round of applause. It's true, it's true. The sad thing is, folks, none of this brings me pleasure. The fact that the construction of a building as beautiful and as important as this one will never happen again is, is a deep shame. It's a crying shame. And it should be something that sits on all of us, that the short-sighted politicians who no longer care about art, culture and the public good, and, and those of us who have allowed and perhaps even encouraged that sort of short-termism from our politicians, we have this on ourselves. When my parents migrated to this country 30 years ago, bringing me as a little kid along, the Opera House was just 20, and it represented an exciting, forward-thinking vision for this city and for this country. It stared out across at us, across the harbour, kind of like our very own Statue of Liberty, beckoning people from all over the world to this great city. Sadly, I think in the ensuing decades, Sydney-siders, New South Welsh people, Australians, we've become more insular and more fearful. We're scared of change, scared of the unknown, scared of the other, frightened of our own past, too cowardly to create great nation-building, century-defining works like the one we're all in now. That is, unfortunately, the Australia and the Sydney that we live in, and that is why there will never be another Sydney Opera House. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Osman, what a Debbie Downer. <laughs> what a Debbie Downer. I got oh. sad. I got sad saying it. I know. I mean Dr. it. Dr. Rebecca, it. from your point of view, what do you think of, of Debbie Downer there? Uh, well, I'm I'm down with Debbie. that Debbie yeah. <laughs> as well. You're down with Debbie. No, <laughs> we're yeah, all no. down with Debbie. Beautiful work. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for that, Osman. That was beautiful work from you. Very nice. Here's my Barbie Brightside side. I like them. The Barbie Brightside. The only one who wore colour. Very nice. Beautiful. Some blue colour. It's like we're all from Nam or something over here, aren't we? We're all from <laughs> Coffee Melbourne. They're just. They're, they're like the ones that sit in the front of the class and they're all like really nice. And everything's so lovely and I need oh, to go to the toilet. Yeah, yeah, I know. We're the people at the back. Look you how know gorgeous how things they are. look, how slick, how amazing. Our next debater is one of my favourite people in the universe because she's um, a fucking truth teller is what she is, ladies and gentlemen. A round of applause for truth telling, not enough of it. Yeah. yeah. I just swore in English. Let's hear it in Danish. For Satan, man! That's much nicer than the F word. Our next debater who's arguing with the optimists against their negative proposition is a broadcaster and a writer. Her name is Yumi Steins. Yumi's latest work includes a cookbook called Zero Fucks. It's very good. <laughs> a daily radio show, the incredible podcast, Ladies We Need To Talk. I mean, honestly, I've learned so much in that podcast, it's not even funny. 
And her recent book, and I'm not gonna plug anything tonight, but if I can plug one thing, this book, Welcome to Consent, will help you and your children in a way you never knew possible, because two experts put it together. Please welcome the extraordinary Yumi Stones! Has anyone here ever gone camping with lesbians? <laughs> lesbians are so competent. They will have set up tents, they will have sunscreened the kids, they will have bagged the best barbecue spot and got cups of tea going before you can say, oh shit, a bindi. If you're telling me there's no way Sydney could build the Sydney Opera House today, I feel like you need to go camping with some lesbians. <laughs> Nothing is impossible with lesbians in charge. We could shortcut a ton of red tape and nonsense and bullshit if we made gay ladies the bosses of building the next opera house. And it probably would be a little bit anti-democratic to kind of give all the self-proclaimed gay Australian ladies twice the number of votes of everybody else and probably a bit undemocratic to install some eye-watering quotas on lesbian leadership, but yes, we can. <laughs> it would get done, people. It would get done with competence, under budget, there'd be zero workplace deaths or injuries and sensible shoes would abound. <laughs> Hi everyone, I'm Yumi Steins and I'm new to Sydney. I've only lived here for 23 years. <laughs> but blow-ins often have a perspective and a clarity that those who've grown up living and breathing Sydney lack. Locals who think it's normal to have a spectacular harbour glittering at their doorstep and that it's normal to have immaculate weather year-round, taking for granted drinkable water, low crime, $70 parking at Darling Harbour, <laughs> white chefs cooking Asian food to great acclaim, <laughs> Asian chefs cooking Asian food to no acclaim. Not to mention, by the way, a casual Thursday night out at the Sydney freaking Opera House. Yeah. Uh, um, by the way, are we all wearing sensible shoes? Because those cobblestones out there, yes, we can, but only in flats. My outsider's perspective gives me the kind of clarity required to every now and then think to myself, how the fuck did the monorail get built? <laughs> Fucking how, mate, how? If you're even newer here than I, you mightn't have seen the monorail, but it was a large and profoundly expensive piece of useless transport infrastructure that came and went during the 23 years that I've lived in Sydney and if that bullshit can be imagined into reality, then so could another opera house. <laughs> to get something as ambitious off the ground as, as frickin' this, you need vision. You need something that ignites loyalty to the idea in regular everyday people and everyday people en masse, in big, huge groups. You need optimism. You need inspiring leadership. And above all, you need a blowout budget for indiscriminate bribery. <laughs> because seriously, how many yachts were paid for in cash to get that monorail built? Maybe I'll write a book on that, Helen. Fascinated. Yes, we can, but in brown paper bags, thank you. The difference between, of course, the monorail and the opera house is that the opera house still stands. 
And as my esteemed teammate Helen Pitt has pointed out, it has made such vast contributions to the international standing of our city as to have a value that is literally immeasurable. This week, auditors Deloitte Access Economics found 72% of Australians report improved well-being from simply visiting here. And it doesn't matter if you're here to see opera, some weird play, or have your brain tickled by a debate argued by some highly attractive public intellectuals. <laughs> <laughs> so the question isn't, should we build an equivalent? Because of course we should. The question isn't, could we, in this day and age of Zoom focus groups, Netflix and chill, the Tibby Cotter Bridge, never heard of it, Oz, didn't know what it was, and Justin Hemmings' butthole. Of course we could, we could. But what stands in the way is people demanding bribes, the naysayers, the people who vote no in voice referendums, the haters, the ones who neg. And I'm looking at you, Debbie Downers, in the negative affirmative. You sad, pessimistic murderers of vibe. <laughs> With apologies in advance for making this bit about me, one of the reasons I'm good at my job as a broadcaster and author is because I never lose sight of my audience. I always picture the person to whom I'm speaking. I tailor it depending on who I'm talking to and what I'm talking about. But more often than not, that person I picture is my mother, Yoshko. English is not her first language. She's smart. She needs things said clearly. Fancy language, in-jokes and mumbling do not work on her. To advance our new Opera House project, we would need a clear picture of who our blockers are. Who is this person saying no? And yes, there would be a whole army of defeatist killjoys, but to help with the visualisation, let's distill that army down to one person, and that person is... Scott Morrison. <laughs> bloated with entitlement, dull, visionless, and while I would prefer this utterly vacuous ant-man be consigned to forgotten corridors roamed by fellow columns of sentient vomit, <laughs> I do think he sums up the middling nothingness of people who wouldn't allow the beauty and ambition of the Sydney Opera House to take seed and flourish. And there, oh, thank you, sir. Thank there are many, many like him. Picture him, naysayer in chief. It's so, not so much that we have to win this guy over. This is your one minute, but because it's about Scott Morrison, you've got five. Thank you. <laughs> so we can't win over Scott Morrison. It's not going to happen. There's no winning over that type of man. You can't appeal to the hearts of the heartless. One has to bamboozle and dominate. It's a language they understand. One has to outpopular the populist. They need to be cowed into submission by the sheer popularity of an idea to the point where they tremble at the very idea of dissenting. And what, my friends, is more popular than God in this country? More important than oxygen? More loved than money? What has more star quality than Beyonce? that could skin glue the wounds torn open by vax conspiracies, racism, transphobia, and deeply painful referendums. 
the one thing that could unite divided governments, have Barnaby Joyce taking hands with Penny Wong. <laughs> My apologies to Penny Wong. <laughs> it's not gambling, and I heard you, it's not frickin' Vegemite. It's not beer either. It is, anybody? It's the Matildas! It's the Matildas! The lesbians should be in charge! The Matildas Metropolitan Museum, the Sydney Tilly's Arts Centre stands stack, the municipal Matildas, whatever, the Museum of Matildas Magnificence. They would get it done before you can say, ow, shit, I've been deep. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, The bloody Matildas. I mean, how are you going to come up against the bloody Matildas? Oh, I mean, that was rousing. That was quite beautiful. It was inspiring. Very nice. Could have gone an extra five minutes on Morrison, though. Really would have loved it in every single way. Oh, I mean, that was amazing. A round of applause again. I was quite... Oh. Amazing stuff. Oh, Ben, what are you going to do now? I don't know. This sounds like a bit of... This a bit of... Are you like a, if you could decide... You no, no, I'm going to cheer against... you in a minute. I'm going to cheer and go, oh, isn't Ben amazing as well? Like a good primary school teacher should. Oh, well done, you. Well done, you. Can't wait to get home and have a wine. But still. <laughs> Am I speaking for all teachers? Oh, come on. Can we not forget how amazing teachers are? Remember how we all love them in COVID? Do we still love them? Yes. That's a bit pathetic. Do we still love them? Yes. That's correct. And if you're a parent, don't intervene. Don't send the email. Let the teachers do the talking. <laughs> now, Benjamin is his French name. Our final debater of the evening... Uh, no, sorry. Our final debater on the affirmative side... I think I'm the final debater. No, is author, columnist, playwright... Augie Award-winning screenwriter, producer, co-host of ABC Radio National's weekly national pop culture show, Stop Everything, and interviewer of public figures in The Good Weekend via the roll of a dice, 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 dice. <laughs> and he also wrote one of the most beautiful, beautiful sitcoms ever, The Beautiful Family Law. Please thank you very welcome, Benjamin Long! <laughs> Ladies, gentlemen, non-binary friends, fellow murderers of hope. <gasps> yes, our friends on the negative team are fueled by feel-good Australian optimism, wide-eyed pride, rampant lesbianism, <laughs> and the promotion of a book, The House, by Helen Pitt, available at the gift shop outside. <laughs> but what they're also suffering from is something we are all susceptible to, and it's dangerous in large doses. It's called, no, it's not Vegemite, but it does have just as many vitamins. It's called delusion. Now, in small doses, delusion is necessary to ensure big things get pulled off. Wow, that sentence really came out wrong, but you know <laughs> what I mean. 
Jornot Cern, the architect of the Opera House, was deluded when he thought this project would be a straightforward build. The New South Wales government at the time was deluded when it thought the Opera House would simply take $7 million and four years to build, which is to say delusion actually does have its place. So take me, I'm a geriatric millennial homosexual who lives in Sydney, and I can tell you my community and demographic knows a thing or two about delusion. It's how we step out onto Oxford Street every March for Mardi Gras, wearing what we wear. Delusion is what helps me believe that this 41-year-old ass can still look great in a jockstrap. <laughs> Actually, mine does, but that's besides the point. It's besides the point. Delusion is important, but only in small doses and only when it intersects with good timing, good luck and good fortune, which Helen knows is the story of the Opera House. Too much delusion becomes arrogance, hubris and an unwavering belief that we could and should pull something like this off again. Again, a bad sentence, but you know where I'm going. OK, now, two questions. Could we and should we? First of all... Could we? Now, bear with me as I quote a really excellent essay that was recently published in the Sydney Morning Herald, the author of which was, oh, Helen Pitt! <laughs> Twist! In this essay, Helen detailed how, in so many ways, the Sydney Opera House shouldn't even exist at all. In fact, the headline read, why we all won the lottery the day the Sydney Opera House opened. Lottery. Huh. Winning them doesn't usually happen twice, does it? Now, Helen writes of the Opera House, it's certainly a wonder it was begun at all, let alone completed. Interesting. Fascinating. Go on, <laughs> Helen. She also asks many what-ifs. So what if the New South Wales Labor Premier Joe Carlhill hadn't listened to the Sydney Symphony Orchestra conductor Eugene Goossens? What if Utsen hadn't entered the subsequent 1956 international competition to find a design for it? What if competition judge Finnish American architect Iro Saarinen hadn't retrieved Utsen's entry from the pile of rejects and convinced his fellow judges to declare the Dane the winner? What if the Women's Committee, you get the picture with all these what ifs? Huh. It almost sounds like this building is a one-off. Because here's the thing, I agree with Helen's implication here. The Opera House is a miraculous one-off accident. Yes, forged by hard work, endurance, self-belief and diligence in the face of adversity, but a miraculous accident nonetheless. Now, we as Australians might feel the sting of that truth, the sting of that knowledge, that the Sydney Opera House is a glorious anomaly. But one-offs are beautiful and should be celebrated, like Cathy Freeman coming first at the 2000 Olympics, like the Matildas semi-final against France. It's not a one-off. Or... Good point. Fair point. Or Bob Catter's speech that pivoted from marriage equality to how every three months a person is torn apart by a crocodile. These are Australian one-offs to be savoured and treasured. Don't cry that it's over, smile that it happened. So could the Opera House be built today? I don't think so. And further from this, should it be built today, given we have this one here and we're so lucky to? I'm not sure. 
Now, we've been taken to June 1957, but let me take you to October 2023, because right now we can barely get our own house in order. The planet is experiencing the hottest year in recorded history that is permanently changing our atmosphere into one incompatible with human life. Not great. We are a country where every month over 1,600 Australians are pushed into homelessness. That's 1,600 every month. There are some ibises eating better than a lot of Australians right now. So we've got to get a grip and clean up our own house. Now, this doesn't need to be doom or gloom. If you love the natural landscape on which the Opera House stands, vote for politicians who vow to protect it. If you love the arts, invest money into supporting the working lives of artists so they can perform in this building for you. If you love good architecture, yes. And if you love good architecture, go to Europe. I'm kidding, maybe Australia, Sydney has good architecture, sure. But when it comes to architectural marvels on this continent that you'd travel the world to see, on this continent, the Opera House stands alone. Now, the topic of the debate is, could the Opera House be built today? Pop quiz... You've got one minute, but that's as many minutes as you like because I want you to pull it off. Okay, thank you, thank you. (laughs) My grip is tight. Pop quiz, name five Australian buildings built in the last decade you love as much as the Opera House. Go! Can you think of them? Off the top of your head, without consulting Wikipedia. No. It is difficult. It is stressful. It's like me asking you to name five non-white people in Australian media that aren't me, Oz or Yumi. (laughs) What are these architectural marvels that have been constructed or are being constructed right now? Ones that even come close to the function of the Opera House, its architectural majesty and the awe that it instills in us. Name them. Tell me. Queen's Wharf in Brisbane, that unholy combination of casino and apartments rising up from the ground like a fungus? No. (laughs) It's an architectural abomination and an affront to God and man. (laughs) Crown Towers in Barangaroo, I'm actually like dry retching. A skyscraper so comically, obscenely and physiologically phallic, it literally tapers off like a human cock. It has a set of nuts in the form of that restaurant at the base of its shaft, where trees at that base form the illusion of pubes. That one? So so that's Brisbane, Sydney, something in Melbourne. I mean, look, I can't even actually think of anything in Melbourne. I'm sorry. Melbourne can't even build a train between the airport and the city. It deserves our pity and our charity. And tonight we're actually raising money for Melbourne um, (laughs) to rebuild, even though they haven't technically endured a natural disaster. Let's not delude ourselves, people. The Opera House would not be built today, but ours is not a pessimistic argument. What we're saying is that the Opera House was like lightning in a bottle. Let's not take it for granted. Let's not be so arrogant. Let's not be so deluded by saying we could or should be capable of making one again. We are the ridiculously blessed beneficiaries of chance. Pure, generous and kind chance. There's only one. It wouldn't be built today. But lucky for us, 50 years ago, it was. Oh, I mean, oh, oh, my Lord. I mean, 
Gracias. Oh. Wow. Wow. Woo. And I'm so glad you specified human cock as opposed to, you know, a horse's like cock. Or whatever. Thank cock, you so much. Yeah, sure. Thank you so yeah. much because the, the image is strong. The image mm. is strong. And look, um, parents, if you've got kids here tonight, um, <laughs> just explain it to them in the car on the way home because just when you're driving, it's easy to have those difficult discussions, isn't it? Just put on a little bit of something and listen. Beautiful work, lovely, very nice, well done. Five stars, excellent, very good. Well, I mean, that is a strong argument from the, that side. Whatever they are, can't remember. You know what, everyone, our final speaker, you know sometimes when you have a mentor and they don't even know they're a mentor? Those invisible mentors, no, this is for real, you know. Uh, I used to listen to this extraordinary woman on radio and she was the top of the radio charts for so long. This woman for me was a mentor until she became a real-life friend and person I knew. But now she has the very difficult role of having as long as she fucking likes to talk. <laughs> Our final debater of the evening is a legendary broadcaster, author, journalist, oh, and stand-up comedian before women even did stand-up in this universe, in this country, yes! Slash performer Wendy Harmer, the author of eight books and soon to be nine, if you don't mind me playing, when she publishes her memoir, Lies My Mirror Told Me, in November. Please welcome Thank Wendy you. Harmer to the floor. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, darling. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> what a sad fucking bunch of millennials. <laughs> what? No, no respect for the generations that came before them. No faith in the ones that come after, ladies and gentlemen. A sad bunch of millennials, myopic, self-involved, avocado on toast. <laughs> That's where we are. I'm here to build on both the sentiment and the practicality of the compelling arguments of the team. Yes, we can. I'd like to take you back to 1973, the year the Opera House opened, and specifically to the night your mum and dad motored in their brand-new mustard-coloured Holden HQ Belmont sedan <laughs> to see Rolf Harris in concert with a wobble board. He did. He played at the opening festival. What did he play? He did. We don't want to know what he played. He played with his wobble board. <laughs> Listen. That bloody car was a bonzer. It was a beaut. And at all the bells and whistles, the AM radio with an retractable antenna, cigarette lighter, ashtrays all round. Fantastic. 
enjoying the velour upholstery in the back seat with the neighbours, Craig and Marie. <laughs> They'd all enjoyed a convivial early tea at your mum's place where she'd showed off all her mod cons, the electric fry pan, the electric knife, her wood grain crock pot and her set of splades. <laughs> Over a sensational meal of beef burgundy and Spanish rice ariso, they'd grooved to Neil Diamond's hot August night and shared a bottle of Orlando's sparkling cold duck and a long neck or two of VB. <laughs> Dad had locked the car in, you know, the keys inside the vehicle, but fished them out with a coat hanger, no harm done. Maybe it had, you know, a few too many, but ah, oh, it was all, maybe it was over the limit, you know, oh, fuck that, all part of the fun. And uh, it would be a big night. And, uh, you know, uh, Marie complained about the cigarette smoke, but everyone just wound down the windows and Dad fired and up another Rothman's Winnie Blue. This, hey, ladies hey, and gentlemen... Hey, hey, Wendy, talk about the Opera House. <laughs> don't, don't, don't poke the bear. Are you, are you, <laughs> just be quiet. Just, are just you, go anywhere. Let me interrupt you, Osman, no, please. Are you in simple. any way... <laughs> Subsuming the um, uh, the judge, the judge, our moderator here this morning. I'm just morning. worried about your time left. And Are you? To be I will. You may have heard that she said I have as much time as I want. <laughs> You're not on the Sydney Morning Herald now with your fucking word counts and that bullshit. Continue. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the era that the opposite consign us to, as I say, when apparently the nation's imagination stalled just as a Holden Belmont stalled with an overheated radiator on the Pacific motorway, which was also open in 1973 as it happens, and Dad had to hitch to a survey, to a survey rather, with a plastic bucket. <laughs> Since then, here's my point, my friend. <laughs> Have we lost our creative spirit, our collective political will as the most successful multicultural society and democracy on earth? No, we have not. Since 1973, we have conducted 18 peaceful federal elections, even survived the overthrow of a duly elected government in 1975. Have we lost our capacity for innovation? It might be interesting to you, Miss Tim Tam Rebecca Huntley, <laughs> that there are a few other things we've invented since 1973. Let's have a think about those. Well, maybe, oh, I don't know, uh, spray-on skin, ultrasound, Google Maps, the cochlear implant, permaculture, Wi-Fi technology, the garlic or cancer vaccine, the Frasier lens used in movie making, music sampling, in the ocean, shark spotted drones, most recently on-the-spot COVID testing, that was us as well, not to mention the monorail. <laughs> I could be here all night telling you what Australians are capable of. An opera house, it's a piece of piss. <laughs> Lay down, Mazaire. 
No fucking furries. <laughs> the problem is over here, you've got a bunch of people here who cannot prosecute a case. They are supposedly leaders in thought and culture, but have such pessimistic views of their generation and those after them, they could not bring anyone to the table. Now, it's so interesting that Dr. Rebecca, in your book, you outline how we should have conversations about feelings as well as facts. <laughs> and climate change. Well, you know what? You're absolutely right. Because it worked in the same-sex marriage debate, 70,000 people under 25 were added to the electoral roll. I'm hoping it's going to work the same for The Voice, by the way. Thank you. In the, the, before the last election, more than half of the 700,000 new enrolments to the, to, uh, on the new enrolments on the electoral roll were from 18 and 24-year-olds. The electoral commissioner, Tom Rogers, called it a democratic miracle. And uh, young people, of course, are incredibly well connected to the arts. Have a listen to this. The Australia Council's June 2021 report towards equity showed that 40% of young people give time and money to the arts compared with a national average of 26%. Young people are the most active contributors to the arts in the nation. And yet these people, these people here have no faith in that generation at all. What a disgrace. <laughs> and yes, young people do face enormous challenges with housing as they did back then. You could run the same argument now against the building of the opera house, more homes and opera houses. And yes, of course, the youngest generation will be impacted the most by climate change, and they despair of our inaction. But as the saying goes, they can walk and chew gum at the same time, and they love their arts, and they would be, I think, carry the day if we were to propose to them to build a new opera house. I'm going to walk through a little bit for you of the logistics of how this opera house was built. Don't forget, when the Opera House was built, the engineers and builders had no experience of structural glass, precast concrete, araldite, wind tunnel testing. They used slide rules, ladies and gentlemen, hand-cranked calculators. They had three computers. Two of them were back in England. <laughs> true, it's true. Two of them were back in England and took, their calculations took 14 hours. The other one was in Woomera in South Australia and was only accessible one day a month during the night shift. <laughs> True again. Without those computers, it's been calculated that the Sydney Opera House would have taken another decade to build. These days, with quantum computing, AI and 3D printing, Hashtag, we got this, YOLO! <laughs> the Sydney Opera House can be knocked up in the same time it took your dad and his mates to build a fucking carport. <laughs> Give them the Christmas holidays, they could land it on the moon. 
Nikki Webster could come in on a spacewalk thing with Kevlar from a fucking, well, you know, whatever. We, you know, we could, we, of course we could do all that. As for where to build it, Jesus, how easy is that? Rio Tinto know how to clear a good site. <laughs> you know, like that. Surely there's room in the Leppington Triangle. What the fuck is that anyway? I don't even know what that is. I mean, down in my way at Collaroy Narrabeen Beach, they've already constructed a 7.5 metre seawall, so that's, you know, that's that done. Now, how to make it bipartisan? The LNP would get on board if it was nuclear-powered, right? <laughs> but what about if you're looking for bipartisan support... How about citing it over a newly approved coal mine or gas field? <laughs> the, everyone's on board then. It wedges the green, the independence, and it will make sure the thing is built. <sighs> Look, I am not the sharpest tool in the shed, right? I'm still hand-cranked. You know, I'm that old. But, hey, look, honestly, the, the possibilities here are endless, our imagination boundless. Like the planes we share, it's on the box, ladies and gentlemen. Would the Opera House be built today? Well, of course it would. Dare to dream, just as your mum and dad did when they traded in the Holden Belmont, bought a Ford Falcon, hitched a Jayco pop-top caravan <laughs> behind, the, behind the car and drove to see Yothu Yindi in the Northern Territory in 1988. Their horizons were expanding, along with millions of Australians, their vision of cultural life and what it could offer us was ever evolving. I want you to do one small thing. Look at the person next to you. See this person sitting in this place. Just pinch yourself. Pinch the person next to you. <laughs> I saw that, actually. And uh, I think that... Uh, the thing, uh, that the, lady's alone. Do you want me to pinch you? Yes, I'll come and pinch you because you haven't got anyone. Pinch. Um, look, all we are saying here, you never thought you'd be here, did you? You, you know, know. You, maybe your parents did. These fuckers didn't, but you are. <laughs> We're all tonight here living the dream. Enjoy. Wendy Harmer. Oh. Oh. Okay, it had, to, it had to be said. You did, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Oh, so much swearing for the early evening. <laughs> How marvellous. Well, everyone, you've heard the arguments. What's, what, what, what's bubbling up inside of you? Is there something that, that hasn't been said from your point of view? I mean, normally we do questions from the floor, but none of you can come up with questions. You don't know what questions are. So let's make them statements. We have two microphones lined up here at the moment. Lights up on our beautiful audience. And if there's anything you want to add to this, just to either sway one side or sway the other, the microphones are standing by. If any of you want to get up and make a bold statement for or against or behind or in front or on top or underneath. Okay, so there is one incredible building that has been built in this country in the last 15 years that proves that we can do it and do it again. Are we excited? I am. Go on. It is the Museum of Old and New Arts 
in Hobart, Tasmania. Ah, oh, sir, well played. Wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hang on. It is one of the... You've had your turn. You've had your turn. Hang on, well, he's going to... You've had your turn. She's had her turn, hang on. hasn't she? Now they've got the microphone, they can't shut up. Go on, yep. <laughs> hang on, wait, we'll get you, go. It is incredible architecture, an amazing public space, obviously privately funded. Sure. Uh, in an amazing city, an incredible state and is one of the most beautiful and well-attended buildings in Australia and in the world. So, I don't get... Yeah. Please, yeah. Built, built by gambling and people go for the vaginas. <laughs> so, proves our point, right? Built by gambling, typical, right? And the Opera House, if the Opera House built today would be one entirely huge vagina... You would get it built. And, in fact, it's the only way the men... They'd get lost in it. The men that would... <laughs> the men that would visit the vagina would be like, where do I and so and that. I'm just going to stay for a couple of minutes and go have a beer. But the women would come for a long period of time. So that is... You've just proved our point. Right, yes. built with... Gambling money. Uh, look, I don't one, disagree. One, one thing I'd like to offer is, look, I'm going to do something that every Asian person has stress dreams over, which is a maths test, OK? So um, the initial budget of the Sydney Opera House was $7 million, which is roughly $100 million in today's money. That could buy you what? A three-bedroom house in Marrickville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, okay, OK, maybe a four-bedroom house in Marrickville, whatever. Real estate's a bin fire in the city. But you know that $100 million in today's money could not buy you this. Now, the final cost was $102 million, which is just under a billion dollars in today's money. And guess what? I actually... Look, I'm not an architect or an engineer or a builder, but I'm like, I'm not sure we could get this for a billion this year. You might not be an architect, but you're a mouth talker, that's hey! for sure on the side. Look, I do get mistaken for Eddie Wu quite a bit. <laughs> All right, but, very good. But, Over know, here. You, yes, are, you are slightly missing a point um, where um, in Sydney we knocked down a lot of shit first. So we probably would knock this down and then we would rebuild it on the spot. So we would save on the so cost of the site, Benjamin. Yeah, so we could build it again. Interesting. Well, no, um, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of the SFA. You know, like we do that. We build stadiums, knock them down, rebuild them on the spot. Beautiful. What a great plan. Keeps keeps everyone in work. Several times this evening, you were referred to as ordinary Australians, simple Australians. Oh, you're happy with that? Oh, don't mind being ordinary Australian. But are they? Could they? Were they? Probably. Anything from this side? Thank you so much for your contribution, sir. That would not have been easy to get up there and speak with your own mouth. <laughs> you spoke with your own mouth and your own thoughts. What are you? European? Exactly. So, <laughs> anybody from this side of the audience who's strong enough? Come on. Something to what hasn't been said. What will sway the argument? Yes, my darling. Come down to the microphone. Come down to the microphone. Give her a round of applause. Don't run. Don't run to the microphone. We couldn't cover it. Please, thank you. There we go. Hello. I love the Opera House, but I don't think these days we are drowning in risk assessments and compliance and paperwork. Whenever we try to make anything, there's all these paperwork. I think it would be blocked by that stuff. Thoughts? Would we? Thoughts? Thoughts? Blocked? Yeah, well, health and safety. Yeah, it's all shit really, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, why would you 
you know, put health and safety and crap into a building. Who cares? I mean, <laughs> it's just my thought. Sorry. Yumi? Look, nobody likes paperwork. <laughs> well put. But <laughs> Asians are good at it. And what I suggest you do is you combine the Asian with the lesbian. <laughs> they never miss the point. You're trying to say Penny Wong would build the opera house, but that's oh, it. Yes, Penny Wong. Right, that's it. She's <laughs> busy. She's got Helen. other things to do. Paperwork, Helen. Discuss. Well, look, honestly, there was very little paperwork in the Sydney Opera House. Well, clearly, it took built. 14 years. <laughs> but so there was kind of... one every week. There was a site report that at the bottom every day, every week said design problems still not resolved. And, and that was the truth. It, did, it just took forever to try it. They actually didn't know how to do it as they were doing it. But it didn't matter. And the paperwork was superfluous because it's all out there in Kingswood in the um, paper records. It's, no one even, no one needs it. It's here now. It's all It's here now. Past. It's here. I mean, these, these two write for the Sydney Morning Herald, right? And for those SMH readers out there, you would know that one of the big infrastructure stories in Sydney at the moment is how the New South Wales government is currently reviewing whether something should be built, the Western Metro line, which is already being built. Like, if that's what we're working with, if that's the baseline, do you really think this is going to be built again? I don't think so. Agreed. <laughs> well put. Osman? like to give you a minute or so because I think you got a little bit shitty when she got a bit more time over there so would you like to <laughs> little no, bit not annoyed. time just kind of what she was I'm, saying I'm, where she was going discussion. I'm stressing because Rebecca just said she has to go home to her kids I don't really want to oh, <laughs> Rebecca we're just still under time. time go on well I think yeah I you know I ended my little thing on a bit of a sad note and little thing that. that's yes Elsman we did note that <laughs> And I really felt like I put Wendy off with my interjection. I felt really bad. I don't really think she got into the, the rhythm again after that one, if I may say so. Um. Mate, I've been heckled by fucking experts. You aren't one. Oh, I mean, it's turning. Well done. Oh, a Wimbledon clap for that. Well done. Yes, well done. All right. Dim the lights, everyone. Dim the lights. Let the audience be back into their darkness. Tonight. You have two choices. Is it VB Longnecks or is it Tim Tams? Is it lesbians camping or is it jockstraps at Mardi Gras? Come on, it's a crowd Tim pleaser. Tim Tams and jockstraps, fucking hell. I mean, there is no choice. Sorry. Oh, great, terrific, yep. Is it monorails or casinos? Is it a piece of piss or a game of chance? <laughs> I'm going to point to this team over here and I want to hear your applause and then I shall point to this team over here and hear the applause and hopefully there will be a revelation amongst us to whom, whom's are the winners this evening. I'm not sure if there's a prize backstage. We didn't talk about it, but we'll see. Oh, let's face it, there's never a prize. It's just the honour. Here we go. Do you give it to this team? And now I will show you my jockstrap. Oh, no, finally. <laughs> or do you give it to this team? 
let's do it one more time because I'm not sure. <laughs> so be aware of this now, okay? Be aware of it. Because, I mean, I think it was here, but I just want to be sure because I don't want to be stabbed on the way home. All right, here we go. <laughs> this team! Ladies and gentlemen, worst focus group ever. <laughs> By the... Are you all cheering at the same decibel level for, for both of us? Well, who knows, because the sound's always been a bit shit at the Opera House, so... We'll never know. However, however, my spidey senses tell me that just a little bit, teeny-weeny, teeny-weeny, little bit ahead, we are going to give it to... The team over there! Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Well done, well done. Helen, congratulations. Commiserations to the team over here! Thank you, thank you. It's okay, it's okay because we have truth on our side. Thank you. <laughs> Do you though? <laughs> Well, I hope we've all learned something here this evening. I think we've learned that sometimes we have to speak up. Thank you, sir. Thank you, madam. Uh, we don't need to be shy. And sometimes it's really important, as it will be in a week's time, to say, yes, we can. Good night, Sydney. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with more ideas at the house.